You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. If we've never had a chance to meet before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard. And whether you're here in person or if you're tuning in online, we are so grateful that you're spending part of your Sunday with us. We just finished up a series called Together We Are, where we, we looked at scripture and we talked about how God thinks about the local church and how important it is for us to gather together. And so I just want you to know every time we get a chance to worship with you, we're, we're so grateful for that shared space together. Quick note before I begin, if you are new or new-ish to the vineyard, uh, every couple of months, my wife Natalie and I, we host a newcomer's dinner at our house where we share a meal, we tell stories, we invite questions, we answer questions, we just begin to build community together. And if you would like to come to our house for a dinner together, uh, we would love for you to register. You can do that at votrweekly.org, www.votrweekly.org. All the information of stuff that's happening in our church is found at that website all the small groups, all the sermon notes, what you can expect on a Sunday, all the monthly announcements are always updated there, but that's where you'll also find the ability to RSVP to the newcomer's dinner. And we have three kids, and so our kids will be there, so your kids are invited. If you don't have children, you're still invited. We just need to know how many mouths we intend to feed. So please RSVP, it's coming up in, a, in I think next Sunday at our house, and man, we would love to get to know you more as we grow in our faith together. Okay, we are starting a new sermon series today, one that will last the entire month of November. And as you can see behind me, it's called Fireplaces. It's called Fireplaces. This time of year, people will gather around fireplaces inside, around fire pits outside. We'll gather around the fire. We'll begin to share stories. We'll talk about our hopes and our dreams. We'll laugh together. We may even share some of our own heartaches. You know, one of my favorite memories growing up is going with my dad. My dad and I, we would take a couple of my friends and we would go up to the boundary waters. It's a system of lakes and rivers. The fishing is amazing. We would always go to the Canadian side because we swore the fishing was better on the Canadian side. And we would just camp out for a week and canoe around and portage between lakes and things like that. And without a doubt, after every day, a day of fishing and enjoying each other's company, we would all center around the campfire. And we would tell stories about the day and, you know, the size of fish that we may or may not have caught. But we would share stories about our hopes for the upcoming year. We would share stories if it felt right about some of the things that we missed out on the previous year, ways that God might be changing or transforming us. This was always one of my favorite fireplace memories growing up. And what I learned is life is shared around the fire. We share life with one another around the fire. This is also a place where we can experience God together. In scripture, we see time and time again, God meeting with his people around various fires. You know, kingdom stories happened around the fire. You think about Moses and he had the burning bush experience. 
Gideon had his sacrifice consumed before the fire of the Lord. Elijah experienced God's power on Mount Carmel. And, and Pentecost, right? We experienced this phenomenon of tongues of fire resting upon the disciples. Time and time again, God seemed to meet his people around the symbol of fire. And so for the next four weeks together, we're going to look at four different passages that seem to happen all around a fireplace. And as we gather together and as we look at these scriptures with one another, we're going to be invited in to experience God in deeper and deeper ways. We're going to look at the fireplace of fear. We're going to look at the fireplace of holiness, the fireplace of devotion. And this week, we're going to draw near the fireplace of healing, the fireplace of healing. Today, our fireplace is found when Paul after experiencing a shipwreck, found himself safely on the island of Malta. Malta is about 60 miles south of Sicily. And I just full disclosure in preparation for today's passage, I dreamed often what it would be like to visit Malta on an educational trip. I think my preaching would be that much better if like I walked the same beach Paul walked. And I met, you know, the people of Malta, just like Paul did. So I, you know, if you ever hear of Natalie and I just taking off for an island, it very well could be Malta. I think this is hopefully, maybe someday, I don't know, in my future. Acts 28 is where we're going to be before I start daydreaming too much about the island life. Acts 28 verses 1 through 6. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on, a, on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand, and they said to each other, A murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and they decided he was a god. It's quite the reversal. You got to think about Paul and I think about like ministry trips that you would take today like the one I recently went on with Convoy of Hope. And leading up to those trips, you have to sign all kinds of like liability waivers, release forms. You know, you won't hold Convoy of Hope responsible if you get injured on their trip. Think of Paul didn't have that stuff. It's just all travel at your own risk, right? I mean, you're just signing up. You've got to go for it. What is interesting for me, though, just contextually, is that there were a couple of times where I was walking off trail through the bush, and I thought to myself, I signed my life away on this thing. And I specifically remember a paragraph about getting bit by a cobra or a black mamba and not holding Convoy of Hope responsible. And I quickly walked back to the trail that I was supposed to be on the entire time. No, I've always loved this passage. I've always loved this passage. I always loved the book of Acts. But this scripture is perfect for our message today, which we've titled The Fireplace of Healing. It's perfect for this message today. And of course, healing comes in a variety of different ways. A Christian author once said that, that as believers, we, we believe in prayer and penicillin. It's not one or the other. You can actually believe in both. And so I, I will just say on the front end, I've experienced God's healing power through modern medicine. 
And I've been incredibly thankful for that. I, but I've also seen God's healing power through his miraculous power and him showing up in your life in an instant. And there's all kinds of stories like this in the New Testament. Of course, many of us have our own personal anecdotes of how we've met the Lord in places and in moments of miraculous power. But no matter your personal experience... The scripture affirms what many of us already know, we're reminded of today, that our God heals. That our God does indeed heal. He heals. He always has. He's still about healing. That God that we serve is still a God of miracles, and he loves to bring healing into our lives. And of course, I realize a room this size with with variety of folks tuning in online, that as you hear that statement, we all have different responses to that statement that our God heals today. Some are here today and you believe that God heals because you've personally experienced it. You've cried out in agony or you've cried out in moments of pain and you have personally experienced God's healing. And so you know this to be true. There are some among us who have never experienced God's miraculous power, but you still believe it to be true because you believe in a powerful and a personal God that we meet in scriptures, and you believe that he heals today. Of course, there are, there are some among us who like to think that God might heal, but you're not exactly sure. You maybe doubt how it works in our lives, but you can at least deduce that if we serve an all-powerful God, that at least he has the power to heal if he wanted to. And so you just wonder how it works or if or when that ever happens. And then, of course, I know that on any given Sunday, there are people who disagree with me on what I preach about. And you disagree that God doesn't heal anymore. That, that would be your stance, that he doesn't heal anymore. And I just want you to know, no matter where you're at in that spectrum, I'm glad that you're here. I am comfortable enough if you disagree with me. But as a person of faith and as a pastor of this church and as someone who's been charged by God to teach the scriptures, I want to stand on this assertive claim today that God still heals. That God still heals. And it'd be easy to look at the hundred different scriptures that we could talk about healing to, to talk about this point this morning. A lot of different scriptures throughout the New Testament and Old explain how God heals today. But at least inside this text, there's a couple of things that I want to point out, a couple of things that I want to highlight. The first thing that I want to talk about is that when you experience healing, your healing will be put on display. Your healing will be put on display. Display. God will, will use your healing however he decides to display his goodness to those around you. Let's rehash this story a little bit together this morning. First, you, you have to remember Paul's thrown from this ship. He's thrown from this ship, from this boat to the island of Malta. Not only did he have to swim for his life through the Mediterranean Sea, but once he got on dry land, it was cold and it was rainy. I imagine Paul and all the other shipmates shivering on the beach, not only because of the temperature, but because the fear and the adrenaline was just coursing through their veins. And your body has a unique response to that kind of experience. It says that the, the people were kind, though. They were kind to them, and they, and they built a fire on the shore so that everyone could be warm. Now, just realize that this fire, it had to be huge. It had to be a huge fire. In Acts 27, we learned there were 276 uh, folks on the boat that had to go ashore, and not one of them lost their life in the shipwreck. 
And so this has got to be a huge fire to warm that many people up on the beach. And then it says, Paul, as he draws near to the fire, he's throwing some sticks on the fire. A snake driven out by the heat lunges at him, snatches his arm. His fangs are so big, they get stuck in his skin. And it's just dangling there. Just dangling there. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I wonder, what do we not know about this story? Did Paul shriek? Like, did, did he scream? Like, I, you know, I think my kids seeing a snake, I know exactly what would happen. Some would reach for it and some would shriek back, right? Now, I don't know. I, I don't picture Paul as the shrieking kind of guy, but we just don't know. According to the scriptures, there's just not a lot of details. And so I'm kind of left to believe that on like the continuum of emotional display, he's a little bit more like John Wayne. <laughs> just kind of the stoic type, right? And almost maybe imagine a small smirk on the side of his mouth as he flings that snake off of his hand. We just don't know. But this is the, these are the kind of things I think about. It's just dangling there. And what's so interesting about this is that everyone's just watching. They're just watching. Let's take the author of the book of Acts, for instance. His name was Luke. He's the same guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. He wrote Luke Acts, and he followed Paul around, and he would write down all of these stories so that we would have them today. Now, what's fascinating about Luke is that he's a physician, and he did nothing. And it's after the Hippocratic Oath, so you know he's like compelled to do something to help Paul, but he did nothing. I just like, he's just writing down the story like, oh man, Paul got bit by a venomous snake. I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. Like no mention of him trying to suck out the poison. If we're on a ministry trip and I get bit, y'all are sucking out the poison of my hand. Okay? Because this, this is how we have to roll together. We are suffering together. But it's not just Luke, it's everybody. Everybody saw what had happened. Everybody was watching with an intent eye. And it says that when the islanders saw it, they started to judge Paul. Verse four, it says they, they thought to themselves, well, he must be a criminal, a murderer, no doubt. He was a prisoner on that boat and justice of the sea didn't get him. So justice of the land will have her day. He's going to be paid back for all of his mistakes. These were the religious worldviews of the islanders that we can see. And, and I can summarize their, their worldview in one simple statement. The, su the summary statement would be, you get what you deserve. Paul was a criminal. He was a murderer. And although justice didn't take him out in the sea, the snakes will get him. Because you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. Paul had it coming. Sooner or later, you'll, you'll get yours. Or maybe it might be delayed, but eventually everybody gets paid back for what they have done. This is the worldview that they were operating in. And if we're being honest, it's not, that too, far, it's not too far from a modern worldview of religion today either. We want to tell people that they're going to get justice. Justice will be served, that, that you deserve payback for all of your wrongdoings, and eventually you'll get what's coming to you. We tell stories about how God is a God of retribution, or somehow, some way, you will be punished for your actions. But here's the thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that we just get to play the tune to a different story. That's not how it works in the New Testament. That's not how it works when you give your life to Jesus Christ. The scriptures teach us that if you declare Jesus Christ is your Lord and you believe God raised him from the dead, you don't get what you deserve. You get something way better than that. 
You get his unending grace and unconditional love. You get adopted into his family. And it says that actually when he sees your life, he doesn't define you by your mistakes. He doesn't bring up your past. He doesn't bring up your future. Instead, he places the righteousness of Christ inside of you. And when he sees you, he doesn't see all the mistakes. He sees the righteousness of Christ, the one who gave his life on the cross and came back to life so we can have eternal relationship with him. I imagine that we might have some in this room right now or maybe watching online that have never declared Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if you're desperate for this kind of belonging, being adopted into his family, if you're desperate for the kind of forgiveness that says your sins will be separated as far as the East is from the West, then by the end of our time together, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to Jesus for the first time this morning. Because we can't meet and gather without at least giving you a chance to receive that unconditional love. But this is an important thing for all of us to wrestle with because in Christianity, we have to remember that you just don't get what you deserve. You get something far better. You get a new life with Christ. And I, and I imagine there are some of us in this room who've been following Jesus for 20, 30, 40, 50 years plus, and we're still waiting for the other shoe to drop in this relationship with God. We're still waiting for the time where he'll lash out in vengeance or anger. And so we approach him with all kinds of self-protective measures, wondering when that time will be. And maybe it's the habits that we've been trying to eliminate from our life, the bad habits that we're trying to eliminate. And we just think if we do it one more time, then that's when God will finally show us what we've always wondered, that he's just angry at us that he's just mad and he's been accumulating all these sins to throw back in our face in that time and in that moment. Hear me, that's not how the gospel of Jesus Christ works. The Bible teaches you that when you've been forgiven, you are washed completely clean. And that any part of your life that you think is quote-unquote unsavable, God can redeem 100% of that. He'll forgive 100% of that. You are a new creation in Christ. You don't have to wait for the shoe to drop. You don't have to approach God in fear. But it says you can boldly come before the throne of grace, knowing that he sees Christ in you. It's not you get what you deserve. It's something far greater, far greater. Now, if you keep reading in the story, you see just all kinds of, of interesting things pop out. The, uh, the islanders eventually realize that, that nothing bad is happening to Paul at all. They just saw this snake dangle. They just made this judgment call on his character and who he was. They thought he was a murderer, that justice would have its day. And they keep watching and they keep waiting. And they wait long enough, they realize, wait, his hand's not swelling up at all. We were expecting at least a little bit of sickness. If he's not going to drop dead, we at least expected his hand to swell, but nothing happened. And then it says they waited long enough that they had this complete reversal. Well, I guess he's no longer a criminal. He's no longer a a murderer. Guess what? This man's a god. God has showed up for us on this beach today. I mean, he went from being canceled to celebrated all in one day. And what's crazy is that if you're Paul, if you're Luke jotting these stories down, then you know this isn't even the first time that someone mistook Paul for a god. 
In Acts 14, just about 10 or, or 12 chapters before where we're at today, Paul and Barnabas were in a town called Lystra. They were ministering and praying for the sick. God showed up with power, healed some folks, and next thing you know, all the people thought Paul and Barnabas were a god. They're bringing bulls and all kinds of things to sacrifice to these newfound gods. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 let me tell you about the real, the one true God. Well, Paul, Paul's been down this road before. He knows what happens when people think that he is a God, and so he's ready to put the Lord on display. Now, I, I got to say, like, I know we're way more civilized than this today, and we wouldn't make the same mistakes that they made back then. But actually, if we look at our own lives, if we look at the church world in the United States, we do something very similar. If we find someone who operates in the gift of healing, or if we find someone who has a giant ministry, or maybe they've prayed for us before and we've experienced the power of God through their prayers, we might not call them a God, but all of a sudden we start to elevate them beyond where they actually are. And we start to forget that it's God moving through them. We just think there's something special about this person. And so if we're going to get prayer, I mean, why should I even pray for myself anymore? Because that person is the one who has all the power in the press. And, and, and during ministry time, at the Vineyard Church, you know, I, I felt power in that moment of prayer from that one person before. So now I'm not getting prayer from anybody else. It has to be that person. It has to be the same person that prayed for me last time. Because somehow, someway, that's the only way that God is going to move in my life. And, and we might not offer them sacrifices. We might not do those kinds of things. We want to elevate them to God-like status. But we can often forget that it's the Lord moving through any of us every single time. It's not to diminish the power of prayer. It's not to diminish or devalue you going back for ministry time at the end of our service. The Bible makes it pretty clear that when we gather together, we should lay hands on one another and ask for God to move. But we can never forget that it's an unlimited God with unlimited resources choosing to move through limited human beings. It's God and it's his work every single time. We can never forget that it's God who heals. It's not Paul. It's God who heals, it's not me. It's, it's God who heals, it's not the prayer team. God loves in his infinite power to move through finite human beings. It brings him great joy to show up in your life, to offer you healing, to meet you exactly where you are. Now, if you're going through something difficult right now, if the way that you find yourself in this story is because you personally are experiencing incredible pain or heartache or broken relationships or mental health breakdown so much that you don't even feel like yourself anymore, then you also need to know that, that God will meet you today and he'll meet you through the place of prayer. His spirit is already here moving among us. And when we enter into ministry time, if you're in a tough place right now, we would encourage you to receive prayer today and receive prayer every Sunday, not knowing exactly how God might move in your life. And it's in those moments, it's in those moments of healing that as we study these scriptures, we have to realize and we have to remember that God will put your healing on display, that people are watching. And the moments of your greatest struggles, your greatest needs, your greatest trials can also be the moments where you shine brightly for Jesus Christ. Your healing might not come in one miraculous moment. It might. I just don't know. Your healing could come little by little, prayer after prayer, 
Your, your, your healing could come through surgery or through treatments. But whatever it is, however God decides to move, we need to realize that people are watching. They're watching our faith. They're watching how we stand before God, how we stand in relationship with others. And these are moments where we can shine brightly because Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness. If you keep reading Acts 28, this miraculous moment of God's protection and healing, it expands and it continues. I'll let you read it on your own later today or this week, but the rest of Acts 28, it's not just the initial people who experienced this healing and miraculous power. In verse 9, it says that everyone who was sick came to him got healed. Everyone who was sick on the island who came to him got healed. And, and remember, Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote the gospel of Luke. And it's interesting that the same way he wrote that all who were sick came to Paul and they received healing. It's the same kind of phrase that Luke recorded in the gospel of Luke when he talked about the ministry of Jesus, that all who came to Jesus would be healed. And see, Luke is trying to tell us and impress upon us today that the same thing that happened in the ministry of Jesus Christ is the same thing that happened in the ministry of Paul, and it's the same thing that we can be hopeful and expectant for today. Same phrases, same ideas, same faith and expectation. I have no idea how God is going to use the healing in your life to impact the world around you. It might be just your family. It might just be one singular coworker or one neighbor or one friend. Or it could be an entire people group like Paul. I have no idea how God is going to use that in your life. All I know is that all of these temporary setbacks that we experience, all the heartache and physical pain, God can use 100% of it. God can use it all. Nothing is wasted, and every tear that is shed is collected by his close and personal hand. But this leads us to a point that most of us don't like talking about. <clears throat> we like talking about a God who heals. We like even talking about how a God will put our own healing on display to impact others. But what we don't always like talking about is how your healing often, com often comes in moments of tragedy. Your healing often comes in moments of tragedy. I mean, if I'm picking out passages to preach, I, I love preaching Acts 28. I, I can do like the little mini revival that happened on Malta all day long. I can do the snake bite. We can have fun with that. Next time, maybe I'll bring visual aids and we can have a lot of fun with Acts 28. And I'll preach that all day long. Listen, it is human nature to want to see the glory. It is how God has created us. He's created part of our hearts to experience the glory of the living God, but it's also human nature, maybe the broken side of things, to want the glory without the suffering, to want the healing without the tragedy. And Paul got to the fireplace of healing because he also went through the fireplace of pain. Before the glory that we see in Acts 28, Paul was arrested because of his faith. He was beaten. He was starving. He was put on a ship to go to Rome to stand trial for his faith in a way that could get him executed. 
We always want the glory of Acts 28 without the heartache of Acts 27. And the reality is that Acts 27, the shipwreck, the encounter of the horrible storm in a way that wave after wave after wave of the Mediterranean Sea pounded their ship, which was literally pinned between a rock and a hard place until it was completely destroyed. This is the context of Acts 28. This is the context of the fireplace of healing. It's the fireplace of pain and tragedy and grieving and mourning and struggle. Some of you know this story all too well because you've lived it many, many times. Maybe it was a cancer diagnosis you went through years ago. Maybe it was a, a divorce that ripped apart your relationships. Maybe it was a sudden death in your family that left you with more questions than answers. Some of you are in this story right now. I know this because we pray together. Your life feels like it's been beaten down to a pulp. It feels like the waves are crashing over you. You're doing everything you can to grasp for air between these waves that keep coming time and time and time again. And as the ship of your life begins to be dismantled and tear apart, you just grab for any piece of wood that keep you afloat until you exhaust yourself to get to shore. And then when you get to shore, you draw near to the fire, thinking that's where you can find your healing, only to realize that there's venomous snakes, that you could get bit one more time, that you could get bit one more time, and one more part of your life could begin to experience heartache and pain. But I do know this, through all of Acts 27, through all of Acts 28, God was present with Paul. God never left Paul. He was with him the entire journey. And if you're in the middle of a storm right now, God is present with you in your pain. A storm doesn't mean that somehow God is mad at you. A storm doesn't mean that he's fin it's finally time to pay the piper and he's just releasing all of this added up pain back onto your life. Storms are just storms. They're hard, they're painful, and they often come at the most unexpected time. But storms strangely have a purpose. And most of the time, we can't see that purpose. Most of the time, we don't even want to see what God is doing in the midst of the storm. We just want to move on to Acts 28. We just want to move on to the little revival of our hearts and everyone around us. We're often confused by the tension that we experience leading up to the fireplace of healing. And it's because the journey often includes the fireplace of pain. But again, as you navigate these scriptures, as you study Acts 28, as you ask God to meet you in this place, you learn time and time again, that God will meet you in the midst of that pain, that he'll take you from the fireplace of struggle to the fireplace of healing, that his presence and his peace and his power will meet you there. So as I close this morning and as we prepare to move into our time of reflection and ultimately ministry time and response, I just have a variety of questions kind of cycling through my mind. First and foremost, I can't help but wonder how many of us need to experience the fireplace of healing this morning. 
I imagine quite a few of us. Physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing, it's all healing to God. It's all healing to God, and he wants to meet you in every single one of those places. I imagine that many of us need to meet with God, and we need to be strengthened by those around us in this place. At the same time, I know that many of us are in good space right now. But our lives have been marked by the fireplace of pain. We've experienced the fireplace of healing. And now God is asking us to put that on display for the people around us. So that we can come together and like the people of Malta, create a fireplace of healing where other people can experience the presence of God. That's part of what we do when we gather. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We mourn with those who are mourning. And we create a fireplace of healing together so that we can support one another on our independent journeys. And of course, I wonder if there are some among us, either here or online, who need to experience the beauty of salvation found in Jesus Christ for the very first time today. That when you invite Jesus to be the very center of your life, the Lord over all of your life, that you get something far better than the quote, you get what you deserve, but you get invited into his family. Now listen, following Jesus and making a decision to make him your Lord and Savior doesn't mean that all the storms magically go away. It doesn't mean that you get to skip all the fireplaces of pain and just rush to the fireplaces of healing. It just means that while you're on the journey and you experience pain and heartache and suffering, you'll have a God who's drawing you closer to his love, drawing you closer to his power, and a community of people who are creating a fireplace of healing where God's spirit can meet you time and time Again, you're being invited to to not just experience forgiveness once, but experience forgiveness time and time again. Storms and snakes can do their worst, but they'll never take your salvation. And if you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ, then in a couple of minutes, I'm going to invite you to do that today. But no matter where you're at, as we move into our time of reflection, just think about some of those questions. Ask God to minister to you right here and right now. Because we believe that our God heals today. Let's pray.